And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated radio partners, as well as our slightly more appreciated, as usual, podcast listeners. You can join that uh, co- uh, cabal. I, I was searching for wow. a C word and... and, uh, and we've got cabal. That's what I went with at the right. last minute. Uh, you, you can join that wonderful cabal of podcast listeners over at greenmajority.ca. Um, Stefan, as usual, you're going to take charge here, but uh, we just we have breaking news. Hang on. All right, I'll find a better sound effect for next time. <laughs> uh, I love that, that that's a sound effect for this news. Yeah, well, that was actually the Fox News alert sound. Oh. And terrible. Yeah. Uh, so breaking news, it's my birthday. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> it's your birthday. Uh, yeah, I'm not on Facebook, so I was wondering if anyone would notice, but it turns out that LinkedIn also publishes your birthday. So there you go. Happy uh, birthday, That's it. Sam. And then I don't know, we have like 59 minutes left. I don't know. You're going to talk about something. <laughs> yes, exactly. After that wonderful Fox News breaking alert, uh, which really sort of sounded, I thought it was actually the beginning of Jurassic Park, you know, I thought that was sort of like a, it sounded like a T-Rex roar for you. Exactly. That's called incredi- uh, incredibly low bitrate sound is what that was. Ah, well, excellent. Uh, so, yes, welcome to The Green Majority here on CAUD 9.5. Uh, my name is Stephen Hostetter in studio with Dave Hostetter and Saren Kaster's birthday today. Uh, we have uh, Lauren Latour will be joining us in the middle section. And then at the end of, this, of, the, of the, la- the last 20 minutes, we'll be talking to Sherry DeNovo, a uh, former MPP uh, and, uh, and, and minister, uh, about mm. uh, some days of action that are coming up uh, on Mondays. Nice. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. Let me just say CIUT 89.5 FM. Great station. It's fantastic. So many station. good shows on the station. So yeah. Excellent music. Excellent stuff on the station. CIUT 89.5 FM. Great station. <laughs> Um, so the show has three stories, uh, and then and then Sherry. And so the the framing I am I'm looking to to bring to this show. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I'm doing it, Dave. <laughs> um, is is this question of uh, what uh, it, what it will take to break through? Mm. Now uh, this is this is the question that environmentalists have been trying to answer for decades on climate. You know, uh, in in the decades that environmentalists have been trying to do this, um, the right wing has been demonizing anyone who wants to have this conversation, right? Uh, you know, you the, about 20, 20 years ago, the ask was a price on carbon. You know, this and 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 yet this market-based solution was framed as a socialist takeover uh, and soundly rejected time and time again. Um, even you know, th- which within that kind of language around the price on carbon continues to this day. Mm. But um, but the fact that you know that even the the most conservative position was was vilified, I think, speaks volumes. And at the time, we, there was a, a, a resounding warning to the to the conservative side of this argument that if they were going to reject the conservative side of the solution, all they were going to end up was the, the left wing. They ceded the position to to really take action to to further left wing responses because of the fact that they absolutely demonized the the right wing solutions to these problems. And and now we, we find ourselves in a place where basically anything less than dramatic change will not address the scale of the problem. You know, 20 years ago, a slowly increasing price on carbon would have got us a decent way there. Um, it would it, it would have allowed for a, a much more gradual response, and and we've sort of lost that opportunity. Mm. Um, and still, you know, one side basically rejects the problem. You know, in, in Canada, United States, Australia, a few, the right-wing parties are basically arms of the fossil fuel industry. You know, whether that's the, the Koch brothers in America, oil here, or coal in Australia, 
you know, um, and and lest let, let, we forget, it's not just a Republicans or conservatives thing, you know, that can fall beholden to these interests. You know, you have Joe Manchin, the coal-powered Democrat uh, of West Virginia. You have Trudeau's liberal pipeline um, and whatever weird mix of oil sand socialism that the Alberta NDP trotted out. You know, this is a <laughs> this is a wide ranging issue. Um, but but the conservative response to climate change remains that any response to climate change is is vilifiable socialism. I don't, I don't want to get too technical. I realize this is not mainly a science show, but I want to introduce a, just a, just very briefly an important concept here, which is that time is linear. So if you have ten <laughs> years to do something and then you don't do anything for eight years, you now have two years. You don't you don't then have ten years. That's I, how that I, works. Like, I apologize. Right. I realize that's highly technical, that but is time is technical. in fact linear. Yes, that wow. is a problem with time. Wow. Um, but, so. Uh, and what's incredible is that you know the liberals in in, in, in the in the NDP in Alberta were still found themselves demonized as evil as socialist agendas, you know, uh, out to ruin the lives of fossil fuel workers, even with their milk toast market based climate plans. Like the, even that was was too much. They hate the poor for this response. Um, and um, and so if the right has decided that real action on climate change is socialism, you know, then then what is the alternative? Is the question I'm sort of left with. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there is a uh, there's a Jeet here article in the Nation that came out this week, okay. outlining that uh, after after the white nationalist shootings in El Paso, uh, there are basically only two options moving forward: uh, are increasingly eco-fascism and green socialism. And make no mistake, the 680 fathers and mothers who are rounded up by ICE in Mississippi on the first day of school uh, for their children is a climate policy. Uh, cages at the border for for kids is a climate policy. Militarizing police is climate policy. The argument, uh, the fossil fuel argument of status quo versus green transition, is a false debate. You know, the debate uh, is where we want to put our money into the solution or into the fascistic tactics to protect the wealthy. You know, the myth of the neutrality of the market is crumbling, um, and the stories that are today we highlight. Um, are the ways that the environmental movement is trying to break through. You know, the, the power of the entrenched interests and the increasingly uh, fascistic response to those with power to silence their critics. And so, uh, before we jump in, uh, the last thing I'll say is the world will respond to climate change. The debate that we want to have is how. Mm-hmm. So, with that intro, we move on to climate and debate. So after refusing to acknowledge the severity of the problem mocking locals concer- and mocking locals' concerns, the Russian government has declared a state of emergency over the ongoing Siberian wildfires that have been raging for the past two months. The fires are a seasonal occurrence in Siberia, but their intensity and scope this year are not normal, which is exactly what we've been hearing about wildfires all over the world in recent years as unchecked global heating dries out our forests and quickens lightning strikes that spark the deadly blazes. The fires themselves make the problem worse, since they release CO2 that further warms the planet, and in July of this year, fires in Alaska, Canada, and Greenland omitted as much CO2 as the country of Colombia does in a whole year. In the Siberian case, some of the fires appear to have been started by illegal loggers in order to hide their activities. Anton Benislavsky of Greenpeace argues that poor policies prevented the fires from being put out early and are now beyond human control. The fires have inspired Vladimir Putin, 
to pay lip service to climate change, citing, that the fire, citing the fires as evidence of the massive challenge it poses and pointing out that temperatures are rising 2.5 times faster in Russia than most of the rest of the planet. Meanwhile, Bob Berwin reports for Inside Climate News on the strange conditions of almond, olive, grape, and fig orchards in Croatia. Some crops are failing unexpectedly this year, with grower Mirjana Stimic saying, quote, I've never seen that before in July. I think climate change has shifted the seasons. It, must, it just keeps getting warmer. The last three years, there was no spring, no fall, just long, hot summer. The trees aren't sure what to do. They need the seasons. She also said, quote, figs are well adapted to the seasonal droughts and summer heat in the Mediterranean climate. So if they are being affected by climate change, we're really in trouble. And dipping into the unending flow of climate studies, constantly confirming that things are even worse than we thought, a new study on glacier melt shows that they may be liquefying 10 to 100 times faster than previously supposed. Think about it, a margin of error of 10 to 100 times faster. It just shows how little we know about how quickly these things, uh, these changes could hit us. And there are changes already happening uh, now that researchers didn't expect to be happening for another 30 to 50 years. For instance, a Belgium researcher, a re climate researcher out of Belgium named Xavier Fetweiss, said of the Greenland ice sheet, quote, the current melt rate is equivalent to what the model projects for 2070, using the most pessimistic model. If this ice sheet melts completely, and clearly we're not certain when this might occur, we're looking uh, at a global sea level rise of 20 feet. And we already know that sea level rise of even 5 feet will flood tens of millions of people around the globe and destroy whole nations living on islands. Some of these nation islands are already on track to disappear with uh, just with the warming we've already caused. And we need only look at what is happening in the U.S. and Central America and the way that Muslim migration has allowed bigoted people to stoke fascist sentiment in Europe to imagine what might happen with all these climate refugees. And in some good news, Democratic presidential hopefuls in the United States have apparently been at least able to agree that climate change is a matter of national security and economic stability, even if they haven't all connected the dots on the justice angle. And as well, Lead Now will, in about 50 minutes or so, be marching a petition down to the CBC headquarters in Toronto to pressure them to host a, de a climate debate this fall. So if you're in, a, in Toronto today and would like to yell at the CBC, please head down for 12 noon. That's the CBC headquarters, Toronto, 12 noon, Friday the 9th of August, 2019. Yeah, they're, de they're delivering, I think it's, a, I think it's, a, it's in the 40,000, 45,000, I believe, signatures that they are delivering on that, on that news. Mm. Um, and the, the need for this, de this climate debate is, is only heightened. Uh, by by the fact uh, that it was, we sort of covered it very briefly at the end of the last show, um, but that the debate debate the debate commission has has refused to shift their plan to host the English language debate on October seventh, um, which directly conflicts with the already scheduled and months long in planning hundred debates for the environment. Mm -hmm. uh, some of you may remember we had Green Packs ED Sabrina Bowman on a few weeks ago, um, and. And she was just talking about this this plan, which has which they've been working on for months. They've been they very intentionally inform people of this date well in advance, 
100 climate debates around the country. Yes. Happening between MP potential MPs. Yes, it, it's local. It's local candidates. Local, so All, yeah, people can just go there, listen to their MPs talk about climate. Well, exactly. Change. Potential the, MPs talk about climate. Exactly. Change. It's the people running in their own local election talking mm -hmm. about climate change. That's democracy. Uh, that's exactly you know local democracy actually mm -hmm. trying to to f fuel some real conversation around the the and part honestly around MPs who so often you know are sitting are not heard from because they sit in the back bench and are and are and are whipped into into you know, ag agreement. Give right? the MPs themselves some more power. Yeah, well, exactly. That's, that, that, that's a movement that's, that, 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 that is also gaining some steam, hopefully. But this is the thing. Like, what is amazing about this is that not only do we now have the debate commission in the, in, and these things like the CBC and other, and other places, um, you know, batting back the responsibility to really talk about climate change effectively in these debates, um, they are then also now hosting the one, the, 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 their debate on the day when, the, when local action decided to t step up and do it themselves. Undermining the entire effort. Exactly. Like, like it's, 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 it's as, it's, it's as if it's not enough to, you know, shirk your responsibility as the debates commission to, to, to really have a conversation about the biggest issue of our time. It also apparently is, 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 is important to refuse to change the date that despite every party knowing that this was a plan in advance. And to me, I just, it, is, it is unconscionable that, uh, that we could manage to have a debate commission, which arguably should, their entire purpose should be uh, to foster a conversation about the about what we want Canada to be, somehow managing to undermine that conversation at every turn, stifle the debate itself. Well, exactly. You know, like it's like it's like it's not that you know anyone who's watched a federal leaders debate knows like these things are weird shows at the best of times. Mm -hmm. um, but the I but it's just it to me it is it is is actively undermining the, the concept of democracy and it, for a thing for a commission that has the entire purpose of holding that up that's the only reason they exist i don't know it's it's kind of ridiculous i just wanted to throw in my crazy theory and this is of course a theory i'm not even necessarily set on it because i could see an argument made the other way around but um my instinct tells me that none of the three major parties that actually have any power see any gain in talking about climate change even the liberals because I think they uh, they all see that those are uh, people whose primary voting concern is that true or not. And I don't agree this is true, but I think they see them as those votes being locked in one way or the other. And so I think that probably behind closed doors, those parties have just decided this doesn't help any of us to spend time talking about this. I feel like Jagmeet Singh has some some ground to gain on that front. Yeah, the there's a there's a there's a yeah, there's like like regardless of. I guess this goes back to like the question of like, you know, the purpose of democracy entirely. Like, I don't know. There's a, like, obviously, you know, we're an environment show. And so we th see environment as the most important conversation. But I, but I do think that as we are moving forward and as you start seeing, especially some of the, you know, the, the, the responses uh, to, to, to climate caused migration, that it is in everything. You know, it's why the, the push, the Sunrise Movement is pushing to get the, the and, and it gets that CNN town hall. And again, that's a private company deciding to do a town hall. Let a, like, like that is the fact that that's the best we've got and that we have a publicly funded broadcaster here that that can't even touch the concept is uh, is is concerning, I would say, at, at least. So if you are able to uh, help either one of these hundred debates or 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 this push by 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 our time and lead now and these other groups that are working towards trying to push CBC to have a real debate, um, support one of those things, because it's. If we're, if we're not going to be able to have a debate about how to actually solve the problem, 
then we're ceding the, the discussion to the sort of false narrative that is doing nothing is a real response while we while we we enforce there are these terrible things onto people who are just trying to escape climate change like that's the, that's the that's what we're at now so like if we don't have a real discussion about actually how to solve this problem and we don't hold our leaders accountable then we're going to get the default which is sliding deeper and deeper into militarization and 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 borders that are nearly impermeable and I would argue that the leaders' debates, particularly the first initial few, are largely just posturing fluff anyway. And so I honestly think that you will learn considerably more about current politics at the climate debate than you are at the leaders' debate that's going to be televised. Quite likely. Um, uh, but we want to get to the music break early so we can get into two stories in the, sec- in the middle section. Um, so... Uh, we'll go to that. We're coming back with a story about a. It, I, I also would encourage people to read the whole story because it's quite long uh, and quite good about plastic. Um, and then, uh, and then we're covering also some of the some of the other efforts to tamp down activism in the in the in the, the response against uh, Tsapora Berman. Uh, but what, let music break first. What do we got? All right, so uh, because it's my birthday, we're going to do a uh, electronic music track, because that is my way, uh, for my birthday. And then don't worry for you folks who are like, oh, no, the second music track is going to be country. So we're going to balance it out. But this is Dead Mouse. The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. And welcome back to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, or perhaps one of our wonderful radio syndicates um, or all across the country, or maybe on the podcast, which can be found on greenmajority.ca. Uh, we are here in studio with Dave Hostetter, Saren Kaster, and I'm and Lauren Latour on the line. Lauren, are you there? Sure, I am. Amazing. Uh, so we're jumping right into a, a very in-depth article from the Intercept uh, about sort of the the push for. You know, we talk a lot about the push for fossil how fossil fuel industry has affected policy, uh, but we we don't spend too much time on its slightly smaller uh, sibling, uh, the plastic industry. Um, too much, and it is bad news. So heads up. So, um, renowned uh, reporter Sharon Lerner has recently published a long article in the Intercept in partnership with Type Investigations on the decades-long sleight of hand campaign carried out by the plastics industry in order to continue expanding their reach, their profits, and what has become their poisoning of the global environment. She begins by pointing out the kinds of public relations tactics used by the industry to make their products and practices seem benign. They will, for instance, hold contests for school children to build cute plastic bag collection bins to make it look like plastics recycling works. Meanwhile, less than 1% of plastic bags get recycled in the U.S. They will hold plastics presentations in elementary and middle schools and try to groom kids into feeling good about working in the plastics industry. Lerner also cites a TV commercial billed as a PSA from, the 19, from 1971, but which ran through the 90s, that featured an Italian-American dressed as an indigenous man canoeing through litter. A voiceover declares, some people have a deep abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And he is then seen standing on the street and weeping after someone throws some trash on the road. And the voiceover says, people start pollution. 
people can stop it. And it was, of course, paid for by soft drink and food packaging companies that, of course, rely on plastic and was uh, precisely calculated to shift the problem of the proliferation of trash onto consumers by shaming people for littering. Meanwhile, the business models of so many of these companies is based directly upon the ever-expanding production of non-biodegradable items that become garbage almost immediately. There was also a program launched, launched by the plastics industry in Omaha uh, on Earth Day 2016, which invited people to come and drop off their recyclable single-use plastics that the city couldn't handle in order to have them recycled. But it turned out that the items were simply being burned in Missouri at an incinerator that has repeatedly violated the Clean Air Act. So even while almost all of the plastic produced worldwide is never recycled, even the stuff that is recycled might be contaminated with other additives or even hazardous chemicals from being used in electronics previously, or in the best cases can only really be downgraded into a worse plastic, at which point it can only be burned or buried. On top of this, the plastics industry is celebrating the fact that plastics are becoming cheaper to produce as the price of oil is dropping, which will allow them to produce even more and also lower the value of the recyclable material. And so the plastics industry is using the veneer of recycling as a way to produce ever more plastic, since, as Lerner clearly illustrates, the industry is also working very hard behind the scenes to bring in preemptive legislation across many U.S. states that would make it impossible for governments or grassroots organizers to ban single-use plastics. Such legislation could also be retroactive and overturn some plastics bans that are already in place. In one such case, a couple of kindergartners in South Carolina were able to ban plastic bags in the Isle of Palms with uh, the full support of local business, which is the kind of local ordinance that could be undone along with 17 other local plastics restrictions in South Carolina if the state passes the industry-backed legislation it's currently considering. The plastics industry has also been able to use the American Legislative Exchange Council's lobbying model to pass bills that preemptively ban plastics bans in 13 states. The model, which is a cookie-cutter piece of legislation drafted by lobbyists about how regulation kills economic growth, has been used previously to kill minimum wage laws and pesticide restrictions in the U.S. Straight from their website, we have the line, quote, Prudent regulation of containers is crucial to the welfare of insert states' economy. The cookie-cutter legislation goes on to claim, of course, that regulating food containers hurts businesses and consumers, and that, quote, the free market is the best arbiter of the container. Wow. There, there are a couple uh, things that stuck at me in this, in this article. I'll start with one, and then I'll, I'll throw to you, Lauren, which is that the percentages of amounts recycled was actually even lower than my pessimistic self thought. You know, it was then some of the percentage, like like the fact that we peaked at nine point four percent of plastics being recycled. Yeah, peaked. Yeah, that's the highest we've ever recycled. Yeah, is is was shocking to me. And again, I am as pessimistic as they come. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, that was unbelievable. And and the fact that we're burning six times the amount of plastic we're recycling. You know, mm-hmm. like these are these are terrifying numbers. Um, but but to you, Lauren. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Like, I think the number that I heard that really, really stuck out reading this piece, which, which, by the way, listeners, if you're if you're able to read this piece over the weekend, um, it's really, really worth the the twenty minutes, half hour you have to devote to it. It's it's thorough and extensive, and 
really maddening, but also like super important to read. But I think it said something like we currently recycle approximately 6% of, of all of our plastic waste. Yeah. And, and yet, even though I know those numbers, I still like obsessively sort my recyclables <laughs> and like, yes, I bring a cup when I go get a latte at the cafe. Like, because I, I seeing the degree of destruction, um, is, is arresting and really overwhelming. And I entirely understand, especially after reading pieces like this and, and watching all the documentaries that are out right now and seeing all those pictures of like sad baby birds dying because they're eating too much plastic. I, I understand why people bury themselves in an in individual action and stress out over like refusing a straw or carrying bamboo cutlery. And, and like I said, like I, I do it myself too um, to kind of like assuage the guilt that, that kind of becomes overwhelming at a certain point. But but we need to realize, and I think what this piece really helps us realize, is that, like, individual actions without larger political engagement, especially around something like plastics, where the industry is so, 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 so powerful, is ultimately, like, it, it really, like, I'm sorry, but, like, bringing a cup to Starbucks does little more than, than just relieving your own personal guilt. And I think this article really demonstrates that because it shows the, the power and the might of that industry. And, and we know that, like, the only way to take down corporations is through collective political action. An individual boycott isn't enough to, to cut it here. Yeah, like if the if the response on one side is to literally already have cookie cutty le- cutter legislation um, to hand to the thing, and the other response is I personally will 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 reduce my plastic. One side of those is is you know that's you're bringing a straw to you know to a gunfight, um, <laughs> and uh, and the, the one other thing I want to highlight here because it's uh, to me a sort of important to always you know to bring to bring things sort of back is how much that the idea that you know you might hear a lot about the idea of burning plastic as a as a as sort of well it's still gone you know it's not in the oceans um but it is a unbelievably uh disastrous way of doing it it releases you know cancer causing pollutants and a toxic ash which needs to be disposed somewhere it sort of like creates a, a thing but but most specifically it is again an example of unbelievable environmental racism you know, this, mm-hmm. the, here it's eight out of ten incinerators are in are in communities that are either poorer or have fewer white people than the rest of the country. Eight out of ten incinerators. You know, it, it, as soon as you have to understand if there's a reason, if you ever have to ask yourself why might there be a reason why rich people don't want to be around something, the answer is almost certainly that it will make you sick, and that it is bad. Um, and so we can't convince ourselves that the solution to this problem is is burning it. You know, the solution is having less of it. That can only be the real answer to this question. So, Saren, you want to Sorry, just really quickly, because this is like, uh, you know, a usual reminder. I, this is not an argument in the sense that if there's someone out there listening who, re- who doesn't agree this is what I'm about to say, I don't have time to make the argument for it. This is just a reminder for people who generally do agree, but just need the reminder. Um, anytime any right winger or anyone really, but usually they're going to be a right winger, says, well, the free market blank any expression of the free market. The free market does not exist. It's a fiction. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist now. It's never existed. And I would argue it can't exist in the sense that it would need to be true for any of those claims to be valid. So if someone might as well, you you should have the same response to anyone telling you that the free market will solve any problem as you do to if they said they could be a basketball superstar if they could fly, which is cool story, bro. (laughs) It's irrelevant. It has nothing to do with reality as with most solutions from these people. 
Yeah, the idea, well, like, if you want a free market, then you got to make the, you know, then you have to price everything out, which is what they're against, quite literally, you know, like, like you're, if you're going to charge, okay, it's free market, but we'll charge you for the, for the waste that you create. No. Okay, well, then, then we're out. Um, uh, but, but is there anything else when you, you want to jump on this, Lauren, before we move on to the next topic? No, nothing big. Just really want to echo echo points both of you made. One, that, that our response to this needs to be anti-capitalist in nature, which which I know you aren't. <laughs> You're not an anti-capitalist, but um, and then and then also, yeah, uh, the point about environmental racism is so key, especially when we're dealing with issues of waste management in general. Um, not just our incinerators, but our landfills in general are always around population or around populated areas that, that are, are communities of people of color. So these are, are issues that, that we need to continue to bring up time and time again whenever we're talking about issues related to plastic pollution and, and waste in general. Yeah, and, and it's not just within our own spaces either. It's, it's, it's a global, right? Like we're sending, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're sending, the U.S. sent 64.9 million kilograms of plastic to 58 countries. Uh, you know, that's just last year, (laughs) you know, this is, this is a series, like this is, it's not just a, it's not only internal, it's, it's, it's expansive. I I just want to clarify for the record, I am not (laughs) anti-capitalist. My argument is that capitalism as it's discussed in these discussions has never existed. So I'm actually pro-capitalism. I just think we need to get to capitalism, which is a system that actually accounts for all its costs, right? So it, I just want to be very clear. I'm not anti-capitalism. I just don't believe it currently exists. No, I, right. I, know, I, I know you are. I'm saying I am. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. Uh, we, we should, see, that's a debate that's actually worth having, but not currently. Moving on to the next story. So uh, we'll now take a bit of time to look at an article published in the National Observer from veteran journalist Juliet O'Neill. Uh, titled The Campaign to Silence Zepra Berman. Zepra Berman is, if you do not know, a Canadian environmental activist who has become infamous among this country's right-wing circles for her outspoken stance against the oil sands. The hatred sent her way by oil sands advocates has worsened in the past few years with what O'Neill is labeling the, quote, organized personal demonization of Berman which is ruining public dialogue about Albertan oil and intimidating young activists and concerned citizens. Way back in the day, when she used to be prominent at Greenpeace, she was run off the road, spat on, threatened with death, refused gas and groceries, and her apartment was burned down, possibly unconnected, but definitely arson. uh, Then in 2017... There was political and media outrage over her being co-chair of an oil sands advisory group to the Notley government in Alberta. And at one point, she was physically assaulted at the Edmonton airport when a large man grabbed her and shook her and spat and yelled in her face, after which some young women told her they couldn't do environmental activism if this is the kind of thing that might happen. Now recently, after Alberta Conservative Premier Jason Kenney a man who has compared pro-choice advocates to pedophiles, won the provincial race, announced his $30 million war room against environmentalists, and an anti-Zepra Berman sign was held at his press conference. She has received death threats, misogynistic and anti-Semitic abuse, and threats of sexual violence on social media. She has begun booking hotels under different names and traveling nowhere without a companion. O'Neill quotes her as saying, quote, I know why I do what I do, and I have a strong sense of purpose around it. I believe stopping the expansion of the oil and gas industry and reducing pollution, developing cleaner alternatives at this moment in history is the only moral choice. 
O'Neill also points out that even Ed Whittingham, a clean energy advisor who has supported the Trans Mountain expansion, was labeled an anti-oil activist during the Alberta elections and hatefully vilified online. He recalls scrolling through the comments on Twitter and thinking, this will be very bad for my mental health. O'Neill ends her article by noting how pipeline politics are becoming a household issue, like sustainable forestry did in the 90s, but that the aggressiveness of attacks on activists is much worse in the case of the oil sands. She quotes Berman as saying, quote, The reason is the fossil fuel industry is fighting for its life. These companies can see that as the price of renewables drop, as more and more countries set dates for banning the fossil fuel car, as new technologies emerge, the days of oil, gas, and coal are limited. They're trying to hold on for their lives. This is their last gasp. Yeah. So, uh, Lauren, I want to go to you first on this one. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of an it's an upsetting piece to read, obviously, because we know that worldwide, like dozens, if not hundreds, of environmental activists are murdered every year because of the work they do, and and understanding that that Canada is a slightly different case in a lot of those places where where these murders take place. But because because these calls for for like maybe not violence necessarily but when you have things like kenny declaring a a war on environmental activists and saying he's going to set up a war room he's to a degree encouraging and um endorsing these these threats and these actions of, of these people who are so who are so angry with with people like sephora and and it's it's dangerous. It's putting lives at risk, and, it, and it's irresponsible of anyone, let alone somebody like a premier or, or somebody who's high up in, a, in an oil lobbying firm to do. Um, because, because yeah, like these are these are very real threats that are made, and, and understanding that, like, yes, people say terrible things online, and they don't always mean them. But when you're getting something like somebody coming up to you in an airport and shaking you and screaming in your face and spitting on you like that is that is an attack on your person in a very real and physical way and and the fact that we're not getting people like kenny coming out and saying hey you know what this has gone too far maybe i'm not going to have my 30 million dollar war room against against young female activists um is is upsetting and disturbing yeah Um, yeah like the 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 there's this one i think this can't be separated that from uh from the horrors that it exists being a woman online you know there's the level of i think it's you can't entirely separate the the vilification that spora receives as a um as an environmentalist from the rampant sexism that sort of exists within our society as well right there's these these things i think have to be included in the same conversation um and 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 then and then beyond that the it, like this is the type of you know this is the type of of, of, of response that you would you expect from 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 governments that that clamp down on dissent like this is the least democratic response to if, if your response to someone saying we should do better is you're evil and I will I burn down your house um, you know that is though that's on the road towards you know, Towards this type, towards this type of vilification, and especially as you pointed out, when it comes from the government, you know, when when the, when, when like you know, it's it's similar in in style, it's similar into to the to Trump's vilification of 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 immigrants, and then his feigned shock when someone reacts to the things he says in a way that's violent. 
you know, like you cannot vilify a group of people um, in this way and then disavow the concept that they will then be targeted. You are if you are if you're doing one, you are part of the other. There's to me, there's there's no way, especially as the government like like you like if one thing, this should be one expectation of a government. It should be that you should never encourage the attack or vilification of your own citizens. You know, like, I, I can't believe you have to say that, but that seems to be the level of which where we're at right now. And, 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 you know, to see that this is sort of like, you know, that other activists are having to back away because of this vilification, you know, that is, that is proof that this is part of a strategy in my mind. You know, it's, this is it. If you want to make a case, we're going to make your life hell. And that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, and frankly, like as like and as 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 a community of, of environmentalists or people who identify as such an activists or any as a movement, I, I don't quite know how we how we truly protect ourselves and counteract this because because there's a big part of me that says like, OK, you got to double down. You can't let them win. You can't let them scare you. You can't let them push you out and and force you to not engage. But at the same time, when that's when that's putting people's personhood at risk, that's that's a, that's an irresponsible stance to take, and we can't we can't necessarily expect that of people to to continue to put themselves in vulnerable positions like that. Um, so I'm I'm sort of uh, to a degree I'm I'm at a loss of what to say because part of me is like you you have to you have to double down you have to be tough but then on the other hand we also do have to extend a degree of compassion and and help people who are angry with with those who have an anti oil stance see that that we're not anti-Alberta, we're not anti-Tarsifer, we're anti-global warming. Right. Um, yeah, and, and I, don't, I don't know how that olive branch is extended. Yeah, well, um, that, yeah, and, yeah and that's... that's, that, that's well, they this. only read conservative news blogs. There is no path to them. So well, I'm not sure we can do anything about that. But there, yeah, but there's, there's yeah, the, the, in that that sort of exactly what you articulated there, Lauren is is I think the cycle that so many communities find themselves in, right? Like, you know, like, like how do we we're, we're being we're, we're currently experiencing this 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 sort of hostility? How do you get pat? Like, how do you undo that cycle of of mm-hmm. of, of, of consequence? And it's something that you know humans have struggled with forever, really. Um, but uh, we're, we're, we're coming up to the end of the, of the section. So uh, any last thoughts uh, for you, Lauren, before we go to the music break? Not at this point. All right. <laughs> kind Th- of dumbfounded after today's talk. Yeah, totally fair. Um, thank you so much, as always. Um, and we'll be back uh, with, with, with 20 minutes of, 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 of solutions or at least of, of conversations about how to, how to maybe push some things forward uh, with Sherry DeNovo. Uh, Saren, uh, to you. Yeah, sorry, just I, I was trying to let Lauren go though, but really important. So uh, while we're talking about something, there is an established label for this that you can Google. Don't ask me how to spell it. You're gonna have to figure out how to spell it for Google. But it's called stochastic terrorism and stochastic terrorism. And basically, the a really good example of that is Bill O'Reilly uh, on Fox News calling. Uh, Tillerson, the baby killer, Tillerson, the baby killer. And then, oh, what do we know? Someone shot an abortion doctor, right? So this is a, in case there's a, wow, that's not a real thing. Or you're just making, no, no, no. This is highly documented, extremely well connected. So because of that, here's the strategy. Here you push back against it. What doesn't work is if some act of violence happens. And then after the fact, you try and link it back to say, just for example, uh, Kenny, right? Then, well, you're just blah, 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 blah. But if you pointed out before, Right. If the if the resounding uh, response when Kenny, Jason Kenny or anybody else says something immediately is you're going to get someone hurt with that language and then somebody gets hurt. 
boy, you're going to watch them backpedal. So I'm telling you right now, that's the response. Call it out as soon as it's said loudly and strongly so that they have to back away from it. That is what I would say. Uh, what we're going to go to now is some more relaxing music than either my last break or my rant just now. Um, here is Mackenzie Porter with About You. All right, we're well, welcome back to the Green Majority here on CIUD. That was my fault. I'm sorry, Stefan. That's fine. I, ju- I got a little excited. I jumped the gun. It's right. your birthday, and you can cry if you want to. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to go cry. Stefan, take it away. All right. Thank you so much. Um, in in studio uh, with Sherry Novo. thank you so much for being here. Of course. It's fun. Um, and you actually have a show uh, on CIUD as well. I do. It's not starting up again until September, but Radical Reverend starting September 9th at 4 mm. to 5, and then every Monday. Yes. Uh, every Monday at 4 to 5. Yeah, and it's been on, I think, for about 23 years. Wow. Wow. Off and on, yeah. Wow. Great, great name, <laughs> Radical Reverence. Yeah, true that. that. Yeah, and 20, 23, that's quite the, quite the track record. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, welcome uh, to a show that only has about 10 years old. Uh, you know, we're not, thir- 13, 13, as Saren corrects me there. Um, but, um, so so you are uh, part- participating or, or bringing forward something called Mobilization Mondays. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you sort of explain what that is? Sure. So Mobilize Mondays, uh, first of all, it's, it's trying to wake a sleeping dragon on the issues of uh, the climate crisis, uh, and that are people who are in faith communities. That's uh, actually, interestingly enough, bizarrely enough, 70% of Ontarians who identify as being one faith or or another, mainly and mostly Christian, but a little bit of everybody else too. Um, And uh, we did one in June that was a phenomenal success. A couple of hundred people showed up the very first time uh, in the pouring rain with a Raptors game (laughs) and uh, and spoke about the environment. Uh, But it's not just for people in faith communities, it's also for people who care about the environment uh, and environmental groups. We've reached out to just about all of them, and we're doing it in conjunction with Extinction Rebellion Toronto. Nice, amazing, yeah. And so, and so, what? So, what does uh, what does that look like? What's the oh. what's the action? Yeah. So, what it looks like is every Monday, starting this Monday, uh, come gather at Dundas and Young on the Four Corners. Uh, if you're part of a group, bring a banner. Uh, and at six o'clock on the mark, we take over the intersection for 15 minutes. We have speeches, and then we go. So it's fast and furious, uh, exciting, and uh, hope to get uh, mainstream media and any other media coverage for it. So thank you, Stefan. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we did last time at CBC. We were on CBC, so that was good. Amazing. Um, mm-hmm. That's yeah, quite the quite the quite the action. And the sort of I mean, just this is what we sort of mentioned the sort of awaken the dragon. You know that there's that there's, there's that there's seventy percent of people that sort of see themselves as faithless communities. And and uh, you sort of correctly identify that, um, you know, that that angle doesn't get, is not front and center very often within within the environmental movement, at least here in, in Toronto and Canada. Um, and so, and so uh, how, uh, what, why do you see the sort of faith-based community as so important uh, in the fight? Well, certainly just about every faith uh, community that I know of has a climate justice committee or something equivalent to that in their congregation. Just about everyone is concerned about the issue and should be. And just about everyone's scripture 
scriptural base. So the, whatever holy book they're looking to says something about looking after this planet. So, uh, so we share all of that in common. It's just that we tend to do it in silos. We tend to do it in our own little places of worship. We tend not to come together very much around this issue. And it's something we can all agree on. There's not a lot, but <laughs> this is one of them. And it really is getting folk out. Um, so, uh, so that's the main thing. And they have a phenomenal influence if they choose to use it. We have a phenomenal influence if we choose to use it. Uh, and that is uh, at the folk that I think uh, really need to get going, and that's governments and political parties. So obviously we're doing this for 10 weeks, uh, starting on Monday, leading up to the federal election, um, hoping that this has an impact on what is said during the campaign and what is done once the campaign's over. Yeah, and, and so that's such an interesting um, uh, note about, like, especially because faith-based communities, especially I think in this current time, are 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 seen as sort of inherently uh, right-wing. You know, there's this sort of idea that that that, can, that 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 you know the Christian conservative is so is so so looms so large in our national psyche, yeah. um, which is so wrong. Right. Which is, is simply wrong. Um, uh, first of all, I would argue, and I have a hashtag: the Christian right is neither. Uh, but um, <laughs> uh, but second of, secondly, um, the vast majority of people in the Christian Christian world, the United Church, for example, is the biggest Protestant denomination in Canada, um, very outspoken on the climate, um, are not right-wing um, at all. So uh, this is a misconception in the same way that, you know, the, the mainstream press sees every Muslim as a terrorist. This is not who we are. Uh, and I think this is a chance to show that this is not who we are around an issue. It's happening in the States, too, by the way. Um, down there, there's uh, an effort not necessarily focus on the environment, focus more on the actions of ice and poverty, called Moral Mondays. I don't like the term moral, um, <laughs> uh, but for a bunch of reasons. But, um, but again, this is faith groups coming together on a social justice issue uh, in the same way we're hoping to do here. Hmm. And I, I, I love your perspective. A couple of years ago, I remember reading about sort of uh, the the need for, for faith-based and especially Christian groups that they, they found themselves trying to attract uh, younger people having to sort of actually, you know, embrace sort of a, a wider range of, of action. You know, the idea that you sort of had to embrace, they had, they found themselves, some of the, the biggest pushes come from these, these faith-based groups that sort of take the, their faith but implement it in, in these actions on, 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 on environmental issues and stuff like that, like really living their the sort of values. And I'm sort of like, as someone who's sort of in that experience, how do you see that movement, uh, the movement of, of, of younger uh, activists coming in through faith to take real action on, on climate and other things like that? Sure. So uh, my day job is I minister at Trinity St. Paul's Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts. And uh, uh, there, uh, our growing edge in the last couple of years since I've been there is millennials. Uh, now, main, you know, not necessarily around the environmental uh, issue. I'm known for my work in, on queer issues, LGBTQ issues, did the first legalized same-sex marriage, passed a whole bunch of legislation when I was in politics around that issue, including banning conversion therapy, which is becoming an issue again around the world. We were the first in Ontario to ban it. Um, so, you know, they're coming in for a variety of social justice issues, but there's certainly... Uh, you know, an accord around the environmental uh, issue that's absolute and certainly in support of Mobilize Monday. So, um, but we're not alone. And that's the point. We're not alone. There's lots and lots of us out there and it's just getting us out. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, do you have any other examples of, of organizations that are sort of, that are, that are seeing this and, and taking it along? 
Uh, well, certainly I've, I was in conversation with Holy Blossom Synagogue, uh, the very first one that we had last month. We had El Farukaki from Unity Mosque come out. This time we are having uh, Fareen Khan from the Women's Mosque, First Women's Mosque uh, in Canada, um, and she's coming out to speak. Uh, we had Aviva Goldberg, Rabbi Aviva Goldberg come out last uh, last month. So right across the, uh, the spectrum, um, we're having some Buddhists come out, uh, which is great. Uh, so, you know, we're all in accord on this. This is something we can agree on. And quite frankly, you know, even across the spectrums of Christians and Jews, we can agree on this, even where we might disagree with Roman Catholics, for example, a number of issues like ordaining women, for example, but we can agree on this. Right. Um, and so I, when I say awaken the sleeping dragon, if we all just got together on this, that's a huge voting mass. And it's interesting voting mass, too, because the conservative element in politics tries to align itself with, with faith groups. So we, um, if we all come out, if we all speak with one voice on this issue, we actually can in, even influence conservative governments, which is, I think, something that's really important to do right now. Yeah, yeah, especially getting out into those communities that I think so often are, are hard to, to reach. You know, like the, you know, I often think you know, as someone, you know, we, here we are, activists in the downtown core, but, you know, like the chances that, that the downtown core of Toronto is going to decide the, the election this year is pretty low. You know, like we're not like the, the, one of the chances that, you know, that that the Toronto Centre is going to be the tipping point. Like, pretty, not exactly that common. And yet there's these other writings that sort of, that might have these larger communities of, of faith and, and, and experience of that, where, where especially, honestly, where, where the religious experience is their community. You know, like, I think that's a big difference as well, is, is how often in some of these sort of maybe more driving, maybe more, more car-centric places, that the religious experience is also so centered to the actual community experience. Yeah, and this is where I think hooking up with uh, XR Rebellion, um, uh, we can agree with their three demands, basically, right. and um, and and the the shift away, which you've just covered on your show, of the shaming and blaming the individual for everything, um, to where the blame belongs, I think, which is governments and large corporations. Um, shifting that blame allows other people to start speaking, because people, I mean, they react, when you talk about this issue, they react with kind of fear that it's going to totally take away their livelihood, or fear, it's like talking about your own death when you start talking <laughs> about the death of the planet. People don't like to talk about this stuff. Well, let's, let's get away from the fear base because fear doesn't motivate people and let's look at what we can do and what our faith calls us to do quite frankly so um, uh, one of the chants that the last one was faith not fossil fuels <laughs> um, you know there's a bunch we can think of mm. but anyways getting those you know middle of the road even conservative people to start looking at their children's future their grandchildren's future because that's what we're talking about um, and if we focus on that uh, and focus on three ish, you know three demands we can all agree on. Uh, I think we can get some buy-in. And in fact, uh, it, it's interesting that um, uh, when I debated the then Minister of the Environment in Ontario on CBC, uh, they they had to counter with saying, well, we're going to make producer pay plastics, whether we can agree that they've actually done that or will do that. Right. It's a whole other issue. But at least they felt like they had to say something. I, I'm on a, a right-wing talk radio show later today. I do it every Friday. And even they are now at least admitting that there's such a thing as climate change. Right. So we've seen a shift. We see a shift in the polls. Let's just keep it going. Yeah. And I'm curious because because you have such an, a unique experience of being both in politics and now coming out of it. Um, so sort of how you sort of see the the, the role uh, or how you see change happen? You know, what's your what you, like, you, might, you clearly have thought about this so much. Like, what's your theory of change? How do you sort of see that influence? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, change starts with people in the streets. It and start with politicians. Hopefully it ends there and they do something. Um, uh, but I mean, here, you know, when I was in uh, politics, uh, you know, of environment and poll, all 
political parties poll, and they all count what they do on polls, um, sadly. I mean, I think they should do it on principle, but, you know, I'm a dreamer. Uh, so anyway, based on polls, the environment and poverty, for example, were way down at the bottom. That was only two years ago. Uh, and uh, jobs and the economy were at the top. Right. Um, now uh, uh, the environment has shifted, and you see the response coming, not enough of it and not dramatic enough, but you see the response coming in the campaign promises that are already being made. Um, you know, that shift has happened. And why did that shift happen? It didn't happen because of politicians doing something first. It happened because people like you, quite frankly, and it happened because people in the streets and activists keeping on, keeping on. And quite frankly, you know, the reality of insurance companies having to pay more and, you know, I mean, forest fires and flooding and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it, you know, we're looking at, a, a, you know, a future of cataclysms. Uh, and I think finally that's that's hitting home, even with politicians. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, a fair amount of studies have come out recently showing that the, the, the polarization on how much people think that this is an issue, you know, like that climate change is now apparently, according to some studies, more polarizing than even something like abortion in that like in that the, 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 when you look at how important the de liberal Democrats think it is which is it right now ranks third compared to all parent conservative Republicans which is 29th out of 30 you know this is this is such a wide range of, of people of how people experience the problem to some extent um, and, and how much of it requires a sort of new ways of, of sort of branching out, new ways of reaching more people. Yeah, well, part of the problem, of course, when you look at social media, as we all speak in our own echo chambers, I'm actually happy with that. I occasionally get a conservative comment mm -hmm. on my social media feeds because it shows, I mean, something's getting through. Um, so we can't keep going like that. I mean, we have to learn to, stop, to talk across these chasms. We have to learn to speak and engage people we don't agree with. We have to keep that consciousness raising, as we used to call it, going, because unless we do, you'll just have these two tracks and uh, we're never going to meet. And, you know, there's no democracy, I mean, either in Canada or certainly not in the states mm -hmm. in terms of elections. So, you know, all you need is a couple of swing states, a few swing states, and you got it. Um, this is the problem and the money, of course, Bay Street or Wall Street. Um, this is what determines elections as well, as we know. So, again, um, where where is the money talking and not the people? But ultimately, I think other studies have shown about three and a half percent, something like that, of people mobile actually shifts the conversation. And I think that's what we're aiming for. So uh, we're talking about what uh, different groups are capable of agreeing on, as you mentioned. Can we just iterate the three demands you mentioned for a second? Sure. Um, uh, number one, that governments tell the truth. Um, and that is that we're in a climate crisis. So that's number one. Um, uh, number two, that a citizen's assembly be formed that informs any government. I think that's critical and that's something we can all agree on because... Um, we can't trust governments to do what's right. And number three, to have put a hard cap on emissions and do it dramatically. Um, they're talking about 2025 and zero. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, that may be utopian, but what we can all agree on is hard cap and immediate action. So immediate action, those three things. And I think those are the three things um, coming out of Extinction Rebellion that I think we can agree on. And the other actually aspect of it, which is why we kind of hooked up with them, is action. Uh, I mean, nobody needs another meeting. Uh, I think we're all meeting out <laughs> at this point, and there's so many organizations. Um, what we, what everybody's feeling is, is impotent. Like, what can we do? Like, little old me, what can I do? Well, here's what you can do. Come and have some fun. Come on out on Mondays. And we are inviting, by the way, any politician who wants to come out and speak too, um, let's hear what you have to say. You know, you got, we got 15 minutes to speak. We're, we're very disciplined about that. Take over the intersection. Get out. Um, so let's hear. 
and let's just keep putting pressure on and let's try to bang through the mainstream media. We're getting there more now than there was before. Um, uh, so this then influences politicians. And it is. It's obvious it is. Um, look what's happened to the NDP. You know, they actually have a platform, sort of. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, you see that the effect, you know, it has on political parties already. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, sorry, that's Young and Dundas Square. Well, yeah, I was going to say that we're coming up to the end. So I yeah. want to sort of how yeah. can yeah. how can people get involved? How can people find out yeah. about it? Come on out. If you're part of an organization, bring a banner. We gather on the four corners at five o'clock. We take over a Young and Dundas intersection at six to six fifteen and you're done. So then you can have fun. It's going to be a lovely weather on Monday and we're going to keep it going for 10 weeks right until October. Is there a way, uh, is there a site or anything that they can find more information about? Uh, yeah, you can follow me, uh, Sherry DeNovo, uh, D-I-N-O-V-O, on any of my social media sites. Uh, you can phone me at 416-272-1176. There are posters around town. Uh, come out, uh, be there, care. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, this has been the Green Majority. Word up. We're, uh, we're heading up. Th- so th- I think after 40 minutes of, 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 of things maybe being very dark and scary, it's great to have an action that we can do. See you all on Monday. It's a ray uh, of sunshine. Throwing to you, Saren. And it's my birthday. Hey.